0: Are you listening to this on Spotify right now? You should be on Spotify. You can listen to all your favorite artists and podcasts in one place for free. You don't even need a premium account. Spotify has a huge catalog of podcasts on every topic, including the one you're listening to right now on Spotify. You can follow your favorite podcast. So you never miss an episode. Premium Spotify users can download episodes to listen to offline. So wherever you are, you can hear me. It'll be like we're on that vacation in the mountains together. And of course, you can easily share what you're listening to with your friends on Instagram. If you haven't done so already, be sure to download the Spotify app and search for Be Reasonable with your moderator, Chris Paul. Or you can browse to find new podcasts in the tab marked Your Library. Oh, and make sure to follow me so you never miss an episode of Be Reasonable. For broadcast. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. The Damergue gang is headed our way. We better cut them off at the pass. It's high noon. For Friday, September 4th, 2020. And the big story of the day is an Atlantic article written by the editor of The Atlantic, Jeffrey Goldberg, who used to seem to be a very, very reliable and talented journalist. And he employed a tactic that has been used constantly over the last five years in quoting unnamed sources about an event that supposedly took place years ago to portray Trump in a bad light. And he went on CNN to explain his use of unnamed sources and said that it was because these former military officials didn't want to go on the record so that they could avoid negative tweets for real. Not so that they could avoid uh, losing their jobs but so that they could avoid negative tweets. And they said that Trump was embarrassed to have wounded soldiers around because nobody wants to look at them. Which, of course, strikes to many people's preconceived notions about who Trump is and what he thinks. And to prove that these quotes are true, they say things like, well, he insulted John McCain and he uh, insulted the Gold Star Khan family. And while those things may be true, that does not mean that the other thing is true. And without sources willing to go on record to say that they themselves heard him say these things, then this is meaningless. And there's been multiple debunkings of it by people who will go on record and were at the event and say that Trump definitely didn't say those things. But if that's not enough then all you have to do is look back a week ago at the Republican National Convention and see that there were wounded vets all over the place. He also featured Madison Cawthorn very prominently. That's a man who's running for Congress who nearly lost his life in a car accident and is now now paralyzed from the waist down. He came out and gave his speech in a wheelchair, and then his friends helped him stand. So if his disgust is with human deformity, he certainly hasn't shown that disgust. In fact, he's shown the exact opposite. He's taken plenty of pictures with wounded vets. He's visited them in hospitals. He's done more for the VA than anyone else. So what about that quote makes sense? Aside from it confirming prior notions about who Trump is. And this is one of those things where it's clearly coordinated. I think that this is basically like a Swift Boat style ad, what they did to John Kerry. And you can tell because there were ads about this with the very language out just hours after. The whole thing is pathetic. Now listen, there's no way I can know for sure that Trump didn't say those things. And maybe he did. And if he did, saying those things is wrong. But the argument is not about whether or not Trump says bad, wrong things. He does. Everyone who is a supporter of his knows that. Everyone knows that. This stuff is so silly. The assumption is always that like if they just show this one more piece of information to confirm their narrative, then everybody will just get it. But the problem is they don't get it. They don't understand why smart, moral people want Donald Trump to win. And that's what I've been trying to communicate on this podcast for months now. There is actually a legitimate reason why people want Trump to win that has nothing to do with this stuff. And part of that reason is that he exposes this element of the media that has been so influential in shaping public American life and should not. And as far as Jeffrey Goldberg's uh, reputation goes you know I follow Connor Friedersdorf on Twitter and he follows me and we will occasionally get into back and forth so I think Connor is an incredibly smart, smart man who has written really really great stuff and I think he's a huge asset to the Atlantic and one of the few writers there that is still totally worthy of a regular read and consistent respect I think that he is an honorable guy who's doing his best to interpret the world as he sees it. And that's what we want out of journalists. I also happen to disagree with him. And that's been the substance of a bunch of our conversations, which I find really interesting. And I find it great that uh, Connor is willing to engage that way. But he defended Jeffrey Goldberg to me last night and He said, if you knew him as I do, your opinion might change. And I said, okay, that's, you know, that's totally fair, Connor. But that is not the sort of argument that should be convincing to intelligent people about whether or not a claim someone makes is true. Okay. I have very good friends of mine who I trust really highly, but that doesn't mean that everything they say is true. And they trust me. And it doesn't mean that everything I say is true. I'm sure that I have said things that are inaccurate or biased. I try not to ever lie. But it's possible to be wrong. And it's possible to let your priorities get out of order, as most of the media has. If their priority is the truth, they don't operate this way. Like, having four unnamed sources used to be equivalent to having no sources. And now, because of the number of unnamed sources, it's deemed valid. It's not valid. If someone wants to go on record about things they heard, and they are willing to describe those comments in context, great. That's the sort of information that we can take on and think, this is... Probably honest and then what is the what is the proper response morally and intellectually to this new information but instead we are left with an article that doesn't even prove itself in fact it disproves itself just based on the language used all right we were talking yesterday about um, these passive statements and how you can right around the truth to create a narrative that is false. And that's what's happening here. And then another uh, reporter jumped up and was like, I confirmed this separately from a senior military official who they chose not to name. And they said, this senior official confirmed all of these claims, especially this one. And confirming isn't something that you can especially do if they have proof of the one can the one claim that they can especially confirm, go on the record and confirm that claim. And don't say that you can confirm the other claims based on lower standards of proof which is what the word especially means in that context. And so for everybody who thinks that I'm totally one-sided on this stuff, and you know that's fine for you to think that, I am often one-sided on this stuff right now because I am highly convinced that what is happening on the other side is absolutely despicable, okay? But since no one thinks I actually do ever go after the other side, there's an article from Fox news yesterday using the exact same tactic I talked about. They had an article up about 25 missing children that were recovered by us marshals in Ohio. And they used the phrase about a quarter of them are victims of human trafficking. And that is intentionally misleading language. Okay. Because, There is no exact quarter of 25 and 25 is a low enough number that you don't need to use fractions of it unless you want to use a percentage. So about a quarter of 25 means that it was either six or seven, right? Six is one quarter of 24. Seven is just higher, but six is lower than a quarter of 25. 6.25 Six point two five would be a quarter of twenty five. I had to pause and check my math there. So it's weird sometimes when you're when you're speaking extemporaneously, saying things like simple math. Uh, it seems so natural that you immediately doubt yourself. Wait, did I do that math right? But yeah, so six point two five would be a quarter, and under this same type of language. If it was seven, it would be constructed as more than a quarter of the victims were saved from human trafficking. But they didn't say that. They said about a quarter, which means six. And there's no reason to use that language. The only point in using indirect language is to bias the reader's interpretation. And in this case, it doesn't even help the intended bias because it makes you doubt the claim. It makes you think that six is not enough, but seven is good. If they just said six of the 25 victims were of human trafficking, that's fantastic. It's direct language. It describes the truth of the situation. And any normal person would think, wow, we, we rescued 25 missing kids. And six of them were being human trafficked. That's fucking amazing. Congratulations to the U.S. Marshals in Ohio. We saved six human trafficking victims among the other kids, some of whom had just run away, which is a different scenario. Some of them had been kidnapped. But the human trafficking part is a big part. There's no reason to not be direct about what the result is. And these are the sorts of things that you should notice when you're when you're reading news and reading articles, reading anything in general or listening to people speak. There's no reason to be indirect about something you can be direct about unless you are trying to deceive people. Or unless you are trying to skew information that you're not really sure about it. And again, I am sure that all of us do this. I'm sure that I do it sometimes. But. I don't generally speak with an outside editor who might point this stuff out, nor do I write that way. I have to catch these things myself when I go back and edit my own work. And when you're speaking extemporaneously, there is more opportunity to make that mistake because part of. What this is, is me expressing my opinion, which is obviously influenced by the way that I view things in the way that I frame things. Okay. But again, this is stuff that goes through an editor. There is no reason to describe it this way. You can't imagine that the writer of the article didn't know the number. And... If they didn't, then, the, then it should have been a quote from someone else that says about a quarter. But there is no about a quarter of 25 people. There's either six or seven. And obviously Fox News has their bias and they want to make this thing look even more heroic for some reason because it already is heroic. So they say about a quarter. It's silly. It makes no sense. And this story dropped around the time that Trump was holding a fairly massive rally in Latrobe, Pennsylvania. And Latrobe is a place I'm familiar with because I'm a Steelers fan and that's where they normally do training camp in the summer. And because it's the home of Rolling Rock beer, which is just wonderful stuff. So. Good on you, Latrobe. But if you haven't watched a Trump speech in its entirety before, this would be a great one to start with. Uh, I call Trump's informal events now, like the press conferences and these rallies and other speeches, I call them the Trump show because it is, first of all, highly entertaining. And it's basically musty television, not only for that reason, but because you're actually getting the raw, pure version of what the news will later reconstruct to fit their narrative. And so it's really important to watch these whole things because you get more of a sense of who he is and how he is. And the relationship he has with his supporters and the relationship he has with other public officials and his real positions on policy. And he spoke for about uh, 90, 100 minutes. It was actually really long. I think it was longer than his uh, convention speech. And a big portion of it was like stand-up comedy. The dude is genuinely funny. And his speech last night was way funnier than like Hannah Gadsby's Nanette special that everyone goes off about. It's way funnier than Chelsea Handler's Twitter feed. And he's basically flying by the seat of his pants the whole time. You can see when he drops off the teleprompter and just goes into his own thing. And then returns to the teleprompter. It's worth watching and it's worth understanding that the things he says are provably true in the real world. Now, that doesn't mean that the things he said and says aren't able to be interpreted in different ways. Many things that many people say can be interpreted in different ways. And then we have an entire industry of fact checkers trying to come in and say that he did this and lied about that. And it's actually funny watching people who are really, really insightful about most things in the world right now still being unable to wrap their heads around this. And whenever Trump is having good moments, they become the most desperate. And you can see this in a guy like Andrew Sullivan, who I respect immensely. I think he is one of the most important and brilliant writers out there. But he is also entirely Trump deranged. He can point out all the other old guard problems that I spend time pointing out. But he can't bring himself to get past the fact that the narrative he has about Donald Trump was created by those same sources and those same corrupt institutions. I'm not ever asking anyone to believe that Donald Trump is a great person who always says the right things and is never self-motivated and isn't at all narcissistic. I accept those things as part of the package. What these people don't, understand and what they can't come to terms with is the fact that Trump actually liked his life better before he was president. And he left that life because he thinks the country is really messed up in the exact ways he's been describing it as messed up for 30 plus years. You can go back and see old interviews on Larry King And probably uh, Oprah, definitely Barbara Walters, I think. It's hard to remember all these former public figures and which order they happened in because he's been interviewed by so many people over the last 30, 40 years. But he's been saying the same things about foreign interference and foreign countries taking advantage of America. And that is the result of a more global idea about how the world should run. Because if everyone in the world is constantly weighing in and we are the most powerful nation, then by virtue of us compromising at all, we are doing things that do not clearly benefit our nation. Now, It's an interesting argument about whether or not that should be our role in the world. But it is not illegitimate for an American president to think that it is to think that America's power and success and our history actually do justify a bigger voice at the table than a tiny country or one that is intentionally malicious to its own people like Iran like China, like North Korea. There are exploitative nations all around the world. And it's not just that they're exploiting American goodwill. If you agree that America has goodwill, I know that there are some socialists and communists and uh, celebrities who don't realize they're communists who would say that that's not America's role in the world and that that hasn't been America's role in the world. And, of course, they're wrong, and that's provable by the state of the world and America's influence on it. But they don't think that, and so they think that America's power should be diminished relative to other nations. I do not agree with that. I don't know why any American would agree with that. And, of course, it's very easy to say that from a position of ultimate privilege— And the ultimate privilege in this world still is being born an American citizen. That is why so many people from so many bad places still want to come here all the time. One thing in particular really uh, caught me last night watching the Trump speech. He addressed the environment in a way that he doesn't often address it. Uh, He was talking about the Paris Climate Accord and how the other nations around the world who are polluting far more than us, uh, like China and India, emerging nations, how the impact of one of these global agreements will be far more damaging to America than to these other countries. Because when America complies with one of these deals and the other countries choose not to, and we have no recourse against that, then America is intentionally putting itself in a more compromised position. And that doesn't make any sense, okay? Even the most horrified, confused, economic, I mean, uh, environmental warrior like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez or people who think everyone should use paper straws, they're only comfortable with the idea of American influence and power being diminished because they have been privileged enough to live in the world where America's power and influence are this great. Why in the world would someone whose life has been so comfortable that they agree with socialism and communism have the foresight to understand what a world would be like if we just gave up that influence to rival nations like China and Russia and North Korea and Iran? It makes no sense. Their ideas make no sense. Spending $100 trillion, which is what the Green New Deal costs, to try to save the earth from climate change on no proof that anything that they do will even work is crazy. And these models that they're using... The one that AOC refers to that thinks she has 12 years left before the entire planet dies. Those aren't any higher quality than the one Neil Ferguson made that said 3 million Americans were going to die from coronavirus or 2 million or whatever it was. It's 2 million, I think. It's not any better than the IMHE models. IHME? Can't remember right now. But they did put out a new model uh, I think yesterday, saying that over 400,000 Americans would be dead from the coronavirus by the end of the year. So that's more than double what we already have in a shorter time span. And they're doing this with all sorts of ridiculous assumptions. There has been no indication whatsoever anywhere that we are about to. Uh, experience another wave, and that coronavirus hasn't already done the damage it can do. Sweden didn't mitigate any of this. Do you think that they are concerned about some massive second wave? They're not. Ron DeSantis the other day said there's no way that we are trying any of these lockdown restrictions again, and good for him. He held back and pushed back against it at the beginning. He made his state much better off for it. We are using these outlier numbers from these models, the worst case scenario projections. If they're even valid as a worst case, they certainly aren't valid as a thing we should expect but we're being told the worst case numbers so that we get scared and think everything is out of control. Everything is not out of control. The economy is rebounding spectacularly. Well, if you're not in LA or New York or Australia or New Zealand or similar places, you are getting your life back to normal. In some places, the normal never stopped. And we should all be insulted and offended that our leaders forced us to change our lives. They took away our personal freedoms on a massive scale by saying that they were going to save other people's lives, of which they saved zero. Hospitals were never overwhelmed. That was the only purpose of lockdown, was to flatten the curve to make sure that hospitals were not overwhelmed and had to triage patients. That did not happen anywhere, not even once. It got close in New York. It has gotten close nowhere else. No matter how many scary stories you've read, none of them panned out. Not one, not anywhere. The stories about the the freezer trucks, nope. All of this has been bullshit. And if you listen to controlled demolition, I pointed it out in there. I don't need to go back into it now. I'm going to assume that people have have listened to that. There is no reason to believe any of this nonsense from the media anymore. And Jeffrey Goldberg is just pointing out. Another reason why. Senior military officials. Are scared to go on record. Because of angry tweets. So the media can run a story smearing the president with no recourse, even though people on the ground at the event are able to dispute it and refute it and debunk it, whatever word you want to use. They did all of those. But the story sticks. And then there's an ad running. Of course, there's an ad running mere hours later using the quotes, flyover shots of military cemeteries. It's pathetic. And it's what happens when you have a candidate who cannot answer questions. Yesterday, one of the people asking him questions in Kenosha read or said she couldn't She didn't want to read off the paper she was supposed to read off of. Watch today. Watch his little press conference today. A reporter named MJ Lee asked him questions about Trump making fun of how much Joe Biden wears a mask. And she basically set up the answer in her question. Just so that Joe Biden could say like yes or no and not really have to answer a real question. Joe Biden today. Notably, not wearing a mask. One day, 12 hours, maybe it's 16 hours after Trump calls him out and makes fun of him for not wearing him for wearing a mask so much everywhere, while still saying, by the way, that people should do it. But he just was saying that Joe Biden really seems to like it. A few hours later, Joe Biden's not wearing it. So the person That your friends are thinking of voting for to become the leader of the free world was just played. He's not wearing his mask today, even though he wore it yesterday while speaking into a handheld microphone. Today he takes it off for his press conference. That is not a leader. A leader who believed in the mask would get up there with his mask on and say, you're damn right. I wear this mask because this mask is saving people's lives and any contribution I can make to that is good. It's a shame the president doesn't feel the same. That's what a leader says. And he goes on wearing the mask because he's trying to model good behavior. And because he has the courage of his convictions and because he doesn't give a shit about petty insults if he's right. But nope. Because Joe Biden, just like everybody else, knows the mask is fucking pointless. And so as soon as he's made fun of, he takes it off because they're all aware of how stupid the optics look for Joe Biden. And so it's just one more example of the media and this pathetic campaign being led around by the nose by someone who is smarter, more powerful, and more capable. You can say whatever you want about Trump and his character and all your other complaints, but if you think Joe Biden is smarter than Trump, more powerful than Trump, or more capable than Trump, you need your head checked. I will be back Monday at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I do not have a network. Listen to more hopes for all good. Bye. Go download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. If you like the show, please share it with your friends and give it a five-star rating on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts so new listeners can take your word for it. You can follow the show on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at I'm Your Moderator. If you have feedback, you can email Moderator at I'mYourModerator.com or use the hashtag HeyModerator on Twitter. moderator for tonight's broadcast. At least.